As you move into your older and wiser years, you may have questions about your finances, your health, or what to do for fun besides watching young people try to figure life out. The next hour is dedicated to you. Only the good die young. This is 50 Plus. Cause women never age and old school will always be cool. Fifty Plus. Brought to you by the UT Health Consortium on Aging. Informed decisions for a healthier, happier life. Here's Doug Pike. All right, welcome to this Mother's Day edition of 50 Plus. Thanks to you all for listening. And I guess for this age group, myself included, I should recognize that not all of our moms are still with us. If yours has passed, as has mine, I'm I'm sorry for your loss. If not, either go see your mom or call her. It's Mother's Day. Take a few minutes to pay tribute to the woman who raised you. Uh, Even if you think she made some mistakes along the way, nobody's perfect and Nobody more important, more closely linked to your existence than your mother. Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are moms as well. I'm perpetually amazed by the abilities of moms to juggle a hundred things at once and make it look easier than I know it must be. So cheers to every mother ever. I went to an event earlier in the week uh, that was hosted by UT Health and I want to bring them up, the Consortium on Aging, our presenting sponsor of this show, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But I got an opportunity to hear from Dr. Dyer and from uh, Dr. McPherson about the changes they are making, positive changes to senior health care around Houston. It's fascinating what they have planned, and I, as somebody who's creeping up in age, I hope they get it done. Uh, You'll be hearing more about that from Dr. Dyer in a couple of weeks, by the way. I'm going to have her on for a couple of segments. Uh, Moving forward, I've got what looks to be a pretty good show lined up today. We're going to lead in this May 9th show since since May is National Skin Cancer Awareness Month with some talk about skin cancer. Five million cases a year in this country, and I'm hoping that number is in decline since we have all those high-quality sunscreens on the market these days. I'll speak with a dermatologist, Dr. Valencia Thomas about skin cancer and, and see what we can learn. Hopefully we'll calm you down, too, by telling you that not everything on your skin is cancerous, but we will talk about what to do if there's an issue. A little farther, we're going to encourage you to put down those Twinkies and Ho-Hos and donuts and, and nothing wrong with a good donut. and Pick up some healthier snacks, though, for seniors, things that grown-ups can and should eat that will make that hangry go away in the middle of the day and taste good, and maybe provide some healthy nutrition. Who knows? Those things exist. Might or might not find many of them around my house in the pantry or the fridge, but but they're out there. And to wrap up, we'll have what I believe might be our first discussion ever on 50 Plus about postmenopausal osteoporosis. Bones density test can help you find out if there's an, an issue, but the sooner you know, the better able docs are going to be to treat whatever you got and keep you from snapping a bone. Time now for this week's Senior Moment, brought to you as always. Well, uh, you'll hear about it at the end of this intro. Strike up the band, Mr. Simpson. You forgot. Okay, yes, I did. I forgot. Old-fashioned things are the best. We'll all laugh about this incident. Not exactly my proudest moment. And now, another 50-plus Senior Moment, brought to you by Senior Resource Guide for all things senior. 
All right, so sometimes it's easier to stay awake than others, and this is this is kind of how this goes. A buddy of mine called the, the confessional line this past week to tell yet another tale of senior forgetfulness that has a little a little hint of drowsy in it. And I listen mostly because I've grown tired of having to make myself the butt of these stories week after week. So so he goes to the mall with his wife, and as as most of us has, have had happen, she asks him to watch her purse while she goes into a changing room. And as every husband does under those circumstances, he, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And as soon as she disappears, he's looking for some place to sit down. And there in the corner of the store is a little love seat with nobody on it. Nobody loving it. So he plops down. He puts the purse behind his back for security, then settles in. A couple of minutes later, bam, he's out like a light. He's dozed off lightly, but but he's he's mostly out, let's say. And another minute after that, his wife taps him on the shoulder. Hey, where's my purse? He pats the cushion. Oh, my God. He pats the cushion to his right. He pats the cushion on his left. Oh, dear Lord. He thinks sweat begins to form on his forehead. Somebody stolen her purse while he was asleep, while he was on guard. That's his only task was to watch the purse. I don't know, he said. I don't know. I'm so so sorry. And he stands up to apologize and beg for mercy. And there right behind him, right where he put it, was the purse. All's well that ends well, huh? As long as you find that purse. And as husbands our ages, we've all been there at one time or another. You sit down somewhere. I'll just sit here and rest my eyes for a second. Bam, you're out. That's this week's Senior Moment brought to you, as always, by Senior Resource Guide. I'm going to remind you again in the spirit of Senior Moments that today is Mother's Day. If you haven't done so yet, call or visit your mother now. And if you're going to pay a visit, go by a store somewhere, pick out some flowers, something else she might like, okay? Please. You never know, by the way, with all this rain bouncing around, when we're going to get some more of that stuff. It didn't fill my street all the way up. Well, it did to the curb. I was very fortunate. I didn't get stuck. And to those of you who did, I'm so, so sorry. I am so, so sorry. By the way... KPRC turned 94 years old this week. 94 years old. I bet I've got a couple of listeners who were around when that started. How cool is that? All right. I'll stop here. First break of the show. Do that on time with a reminder that you're listening to 50 Plus, brought to you by UT Health Consortium on Aging and Senior Resource Guide, among many other fine sponsors. Don't... Don't change stations when the commercials come up. They're important, okay? We'll take a little break here. We'll be right back. Sunscreens and skin cancer are next. This is 50 Plus. Stick around. You'll enjoy it. Aged to perfection. This is 50 Plus with Doug Pike. All right, welcome back to 50 Plus. Thanks for listening. I certainly do appreciate that. This Mother's Day, hope you are headed somewhere of importance, I guess. And, well, if you uh, if your mom has passed, as has mine, just try to remember. Try to give credit where it's due. Nobody's perfect. Some moms make mistakes. Some moms are just perfect in our eyes. But they've all done the very best they could, I suspect, to get us where we are. If you didn't know it, May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. And that would apply 
currently to the more than 5 million cases of skin cancer uh, diagnosed every year, which makes it, by the way, the most common cancer in the country. It's also one of the most preventable cancers since nearly all skin cancers are associated with exposure to ultraviolet radiation from the sun. To shed a little light on that subject, I will welcome to 50-plus Dr. Valencia Thomas, dermatologist with UT Health and UT Physicians and attending physician at Memorial Hermit. On and on and on, you you do so many things, and today I'm going to ask you to help us figure out why we got so burned as kids and how some of us are getting skin cancer and some of us are not. Yes, well, uh, thank you for having me. Oh, I am happy to. I'm happy to uh, be part of this effort to to make everyone a little bit safer if we can. Certainly, like most of this audience, I grew up before we really even understood how dangerous the sun's rays were. My, I got my share of pretty bad burns every summer too. What do statistics say I can look forward to over the next 10 or 15 years? Oh, goodness. Mm. Well, um, basically, it's the blistering sunburns that happen early in life that can really set the stage for skin cancers later in life. Um, in, um, when we look at burns before the age of five, usually that can set you up to be at increased risk for melanomas, mm. but blistering burns usually um, five or more, sometimes three or more, can set you up for these non-melanoma skin cancers. There are two major categories of skin cancers in general. Mm -hmm. These melanomas, um, they're not as common, but they're more deadly, and there will be 9,000 deaths this year from melanomas alone. And and those are the ones that we talk about um, that are these pigmented patches. They look like a new mole. They grow sideways. Um, they can be asymmetric. They start to get bigger than a pencil eraser. A lot of them are right. dark. Then you have this other type of skin cancer that's much more common called the non-melanoma skin cancer. And that's when you're basically growing skin when you're not cut. Um, your skin's supposed to, to grow all the time. And it's supposed to grow when you get cut, when there's a damage, there, there's scrape. But 20 or 30 years after a sunburn, you can start growing skin when you're not cut, and that's a form of cancer because the skin doesn't know when to stop growing, and it will just eat through whatever is in its path. And the most common forms of this type of skin cancer are basal cell carcinomas mm-hmm. and squamous cell carcinomas. And those, the vast majority, mm-hmm. um, 95% of them are not going to go anywhere, but 5% of them can be aggressive and can spread internally. It's when you got to cut them off or freeze them off or burn them off or do something. That's, right. That's exactly right. So the treatments for the non-melanoma skin cancers are vast. Um, sometimes they'll show up as a little red scaly spot where they'll show up as a precancer before they move on to actual, actually becoming skin cancer. And we'll call these precursor lesions actinic keratoses. Actinic right. means for sun, uh, means uh, from, the, from the sun and keratosis means a thickening of the skin. And so those precancers, Precursor lesions, we will walk in and the dermatologist will freeze them like we're freezing a wart with cryotherapy. We will sometimes use creams or solutions to put on the skin because those rapidly growing cells don't really check themselves as well as your normal cells do, and they can be killed more easily. And then when you get into the cancer category, same idea. If it's very thin, you could, believe it or not, freeze it, scrape it, cut it out. Um, 
And uh, there are some more advanced surgical techniques, um, something called Mohs-assisted excision, when we can have you come in and as long as the tumor grows in one plant mass, usually it's employed for basal cells and squamous cell carcinomas, uh, you can come in and while you wait, we'll numb you up, we'll take the tumor, you wait, and we're going to check the margins right there. And that actually is the highest cure rate for non-melanoma skin cancer removal. Um, when we're done taking out the tumor, the, the spot gets reconstructed and you go on your merry way. So um, so we have a number of different ways of treating those types of skin cancers. Um, then you have the melanoma category, where really the treatment that we have figured out is surgery. That you just have to evict those bad cells. Yeah. And um, and it, now all is not lost if you've told you have a melanoma. We're picking them up earlier and earlier. And because they spread sideways before they go down, the prognosis is wonderful for most melanomas. We, we find them as a little pigmented patch. And if they haven't broken through the skin, they do not impact life expectancy. It's only when Excellent. they get a little bit deeper into the skin. Dr. Valencia Thomas on 50 Plus. Before we scare the pants off everybody in this audience, <laughs> let's let's establish that not everything growing on our skin is skin cancer. What other kind of stuff pops up? Oh, my gosh. I wish I had a view book that I could give kindergartners, <laughs> and it would be, this is, <laughs> don't get used to what you have. Yeah. <laughs> basically, we are a flower garden of stuff. Um, most commonly, people start to notice that uh, right in their 20s, uh, usually around 28 or so, we start to grow these benign, scaly, stuck-on, brown, waxy, crumbly things. <laughs> is that what my, my dermo is telling me are called barnacles? Is that what They're those are? barnacles. We yeah. tend to call them barnacles. Those are a benign thickening of the skin. There oh. is nothing that you did to cause them. So don't blame yourself. Blame your parents. They are genetic. And the, your parents can blame their parents and so on and so forth. His, but, his um, advice to me on those, scrape them off. you got to scrape them off. So basically, there is now um, a uh, an FDA-approved medicine that can be applied to these, but you can only treat about seven in one sitting. So okay. scraping them off or freezing them off is really the uh, the standard of care for those. Um, and in skin of color, they can be these little dark, scaly spots. But that scale, in a good way, is a sign that it could be benign. In general, if you have something and um, if you just lightly scratch it, if it doesn't hurt and it doesn't bleed, it actually may be okay. But we're going to grow a lot of those barnacles. Oh, <laughs> those gosh. Seborrheic keratoses. Mm -hmm. We'll see a lot of those. I've heard there that name. Little red dots we like to grow, um, and it's just a little small red dot. Um, sometimes women will notice them in pregnancy, but both women and men grow them. They're called cherry angiomas, and they yes. can just be the size of a head of a pen. Those are very common. Um, people will grow skin tags in areas of friction. They're almost like a little extra piece of skin that's held on by a tiny little stalk. Um, and they love to show up in the armpits, the back of the neck, and the groin area. Um, there are always also the, the fun infections like warts <laughs> yeah. that you can get on your fingers and toes. And um, basically, humans grow a lot of stuff, uh, but sure most of it is the vast majority of the stuff we grow is going to be okay. Let's get to prevention, Dr. Thomas, and talk about sunscreens. They're not all created equally. What's the current thinking on what's, what the right ingredients are to look for? 
Well, that's a great idea, base, or a great question. Essentially, what happens is that you have um, two major categories of sunscreens. You have the physical blocking agents, your uh, titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, um, and those are that um, they tend to be traditionally that white bar that you could put on your nose and your lips, but we have much better formulations that aren't chalky that can block the sun. And then we have the chemical sunscreens that are more synthetic compounds that can serve to absorb the ultraviolet rays. Um, there are a number of these. Um, avobenzone is one, oxybenzone. Um, there are certain salicylates that um, that can be in sunscreen. Um, newer agents include ecampsol, um, which is a, a sunscreen material that doesn't um, cause a bluing of the skin. Sometimes when people put on sunscreens, they feel that it feels hot or that their skin has a certain type of tinge to it. But, um, but right now, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States has done an excellent job really policing what, um, what gets called a sunscreen. And so as long as um, it's purchased in the U.S., they um, – you really just want to find something that works for you in terms of sunscreen. Yeah, the, the key is if it's purchased in the U.S., because if you're traveling abroad to some, like down into the Caribbean, for example, there's going to be a whole lot of sunshine there, but the, the products you buy down there may not be up to the standards from here, right? That's correct. Okay. We, we have very rigorous standards. We have a very um, or a longer um, trial process where we do look through um, a lot of the data. Right now, a small study recently came out that looked at applying sunscreen to greater than 75% of one's body every two hours for four days. I'm just going to um, dip myself in. We're out of time, Dr. <laughs> Valencia Thomas. Thank you so much for helping me. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. it. Anytime. Yes, Take uh -huh. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this segment. We'll be back to talk about snacks for seniors. I am. I'm just going to start dipping myself in sunscreen. I can't stand it. I'm not going to get hurt. More 50 Plus right after this. What's life without a nap? I suggest you go to bed and sleep it off. Just wait until after the show's over. Back to Doug Pike as 50 Plus continues. All right, welcome back to 50 Plus. What's better than a nap in a department store on a couch watching your wife's purse? Remember the senior moment from earlier? Pretty funny stuff. Thanks to Dr. Thomas for encouraging all of us to take better care of our skin. We'll talk now about something else a lot of seniors don't give the attention it deserves, and that's what we eat between meals. I'm as bad, I guarantee you, I'm as bad as anyone about eating junk now and then, so... So maybe snack food expert Don Paul can put me on a better track. Welcome to 50-plus, Don. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, snacking is just the trends has really grown over the years, really. I mean, we used to think as we were kids, oh, just here you go, uh, you know, your daughter or son going to school or in between. Now the trend is four or five snacks a day instead of three meals. So hey, um, before we get far into this, how do you become a snack expert? I got probably four or five <laughs> listeners want to want your job, I would imagine. <laughs> well, it's more than 25 years of working in Ooh. the food 
industry uh, wow. with a lot of different brands, you yeah. know, and it, it's not just, you know, snack brands and everything, um, you know, from the frozen aisle to the snack aisle to cans, you name it. Um, and it's just looking at different trends, working with different data and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it sounds more impressive than it really is. All right, fair enough. I've done nutrition segments on the show in the past, but they've always centered around eating three good meals a day, taking our vitamins. That being said, most of us, at least occasionally, are going to get hungry between those meals. And I'm I'm guessing you'll tell me that a, a Twinkie or a pack of sugar donuts probably isn't the best choice for this 50-plus audience. <laughs> Not really. You know, I mean, I think I, I always say, everything in moderation. So let's not cut every or the way we've been living for 50 plus years. And we're going to sure. stop it right now because we're going to have craving problems and all yeah. that. But the trend is to four to five snacks instead of these big meals. Uh, but the, the, the key is the right kind of snacks. You're right. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe a, a sweet snack or something like that is not going to be the best thing because as you get, as everyone knows, you, you're 50 plus, you're going to um, you know, your body needs different things, and we sure. have to, you know, change our eating habits a little bit as we get to that age. Scientifically, Don, what what makes us crave certain foods at certain times? Is it is it a response to marketing and branding? Is it just stuck in our heads, or is there some physiological reason we crave certain foods? You know, it's it's a good question because there is a, a reason why we do that. There, we we crave certain things, you know, and and sometimes it is marketing, good marketing, and it's a comfort food. And we grew up with something, and every time this happened, I ran to the refrigerator or the or the pantry and got something to eat. But many times it has to do with. Um, the ingredient itself, sweets, for instance. You know, if you're reaching for something sweet, it's usually because you feel stressed or tired and you crave that sugar. You okay. want that energy and mood boost. So that you can see that. You can think about that. But also, um, you know, uh, carbs, you know, as people cut back on carbs or uh, things like that. But carbs boost our levels of serotonin. While you're dieting, you crave that even more. But that's along the lines there. So there's certain things our body says, hey, I need this. And maybe going back to the caveman time, because protein's like that. You know, when you you're crave protein, you're probably craving meaty foods, you know, because your body wants that protein. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, because every now and then, I'm, my eating habits aren't the best. And every now and then, I'll just, I'll just got to go eat vegetables somewhere. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be some way, way deep genetic thing that says, hey, Hey, dummy, you're about to mess your whole body up. Get some get some broccoli in you. Get some corn in you. Well, I also believe it. It's exactly right. I also believe, um, you know, we all binge a little bit. Maybe sure. it's, you know, Super Bowl or something, and you're just distracted eating. And then the next day you're like, oh, my, what did I eat? And then <laughs> yeah. you crave that healthier or, you you know, you have the veggies or whatever. Guilt. I, I, yes. Guilt sends you that way. And back to the marketing thing for a second, too. I, I envision two different commercials, one with a guy on a yacht in the Caribbean surrounded by surrounded by pretty girls eating potato chips, probably going to make me want to eat potato chips more than if it just shows a guy sitting on the couch in his sweatpants eating potato chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why well, we got to love marketing like that. Oh, you sure. know, there's a lot of beer, a lot of beer commercials out there like that. Yeah, they have a good certain point. thing and but that tailors to that market. It tailors to that demographic, um, whether it's the actual taste of the product, because there's certain right. flavors, certain 
people across the country even they it's like that's not a flavor for the midwest or the west coast or whatever wow. but it is in tune to the uh, you know where you live or how you grew up sure snack expert don paul on 50 plus i think everybody in this audience probably can recognize a bad snack when they see it so let's give them some better alternatives D- do we start with the obvious the fruits and raw vegetables yeah, you know what? Yes, you know, but as we are in our go-go life, sometimes the veggies or the fruits are tough to to grab onto, and and you know, or they get bruised or in a car or whatever. So I'd look at making it easy. Make it an easy choice. Um, Good call. That's why I like like the freeze-dried fruits and veggies. You know, okay. you, it's in a pouch. You grab it. You're out. You know, the door, and. It's not a lot of added, there's no added sugars. And I like, you know, to just give a little plug to Karen's Naturals because mm-hmm. there's no added sugars or anything. So it gives you that little bit of a boost and a good flavor. But, you know, think about eating also nuts and almonds, you know, because it's a great snack. Again, this, you know, as we look and we don't go to the, the uh, convenience store, wonderful place to get a lot of things, but then you stay away from the chip aisle maybe because almonds are heart healthy. And they help lower cholesterol. So I, I like almonds and these nuts to kind of balance that in between eating. But we, we and then we, we always think of eggs for breakfast. Hey, let's, you know, we all sit down and have eggs and everything. Sure. But don't forget the hard-boiled eggs. I mean, that's a great uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Option. I love those things, too. I really do. I can sit there and just pop them like candy, uh, although oh, yeah. I have to be careful. Now, what about the yolk, though? I've got to be kind of careful of that with cholesterol issues, right? Well, no, you know, it, it goes back and forth a little bit. Now mm-hmm. we're on the uptick. That, that's okay. Really? You know, and you look at moderation, it's okay. It, and, and as you look at, you know, 50-plus, you know, you know, 50-plus, and I'm in that category, we need protein. That's and, a good point. And that's where that moves towards, so eating that. And it's a great source of vitamins, mm-hmm. um, about 100 calories. So that's a nice thing to look at. And then look at the source where you're getting the eggs. Sure. You know, just picking up, I mean, a big a big um, uh, thing you see out there is cage-free, non-GMO, very powerful, mm-hmm. ra- you know, free range. And, and it's the specialty way they treat the hens, and, all, and that makes you feel better and better eggs for you, you know. So um, don't be afraid of that hard-boiled egg. I kind of I have to laugh when I walk through the grocery store and see that, People apparently are so lazy now that they can't even take the time to boil their own eggs. You can buy your hard-boiled eggs already yeah. hard-boiled. Yeah, the I mean, how much easier cold, can it be? Hard-cooked. Yeah, you're that's, exactly right. But it's a convenience world, isn't it? You oh, walk yeah. through, you, you want to grab, that's why, you know, and, and you grab that hard-boiled egg already, and you don't, you know, you don't stray. You have a nice, high-protein a quick snack. And so convenience has overtaken that snack for a while, and that's just really nothing wrong with that. Um, if you have the choice, so yeah, do they grab a carton and bring it home and boil it and take it to the office or, or, or the gym or wherever? Wonderful. But uh, the convenience has kind of taken over, hasn't it? Convenience, a little bit of protein, something that kind of tastes good in moderation. Believe it or not, Don, we're already through this segment. Holy cow. All right. Fair enough. Don Paul, snack expert. I'm going to put away all the bad stuff. I'm going to go buy some hard-boiled eggs because you gave me permission to do that. Thank you a lot, Don. I appreciate it, buddy. No problem. You have a good one. Yes, sir. My pleasure. All right. Coming up next on 50 Plus, we'll talk about osteoporosis. Man, that's some scary stuff right there. But we'll sort it out. We'll be back. More 50 Plus right after this. 
They sure don't make them like they used to. That's why every few months we wash him, check his fluids, and spray on a fresh coat of wax. This is 50 Plus with Doug Pike. I'm getting about tired of that waxing part. Welcome back to 50 Plus, and thanks to Don Paul for steering us away from junk food and down a path of more healthy snacks. Four or five snacks a day instead of big meals. How about in addition to big meals, Don? All right, we'll talk now about something that affects millions of Americans, mostly postmenopausal women, and that's osteoporosis. To help us understand it better, I'll get some help from Dr. Layla Tabatabai from Houston Methodist, an endocrinologist over there. Thanks for your time. Did I butcher your name? I hope not. Let me push it. Oh, good. We did not, Doug. Oh, you get an goodness. A+. Oh, thank goodness. Woo. Let's start in uh, recognition of this audience with with postmenopausal osteoporosis. Is there a particular window of time past menopause when women who are going to get osteoporosis are going to see symptoms of it or need to be tested for it? That's an excellent question. So really, the uh, issue with bone loss around the time of menopause has to do with the declining estrogen levels. So as women, we're all well aware of hot flushes and night sweats and other unpleasant symptoms of osteo, of uh, menopause, rather. Mm-hmm. But osteoporosis itself will also accompany these changes for many women. And osteoporosis is mainly asymptomatic. Unfortunately, there are no symptoms up until the time of a fracture. So it really behooves women to request a bone density test around the time that they go through menopause. And this bone density test, also known as a DEXA scan, can be ordered by their primary care physician or their OBGYN or other specialists who might be treating them for a bone-related problem. Now, is this something, the, the bone density, is this something that varies from woman to woman? Is there, should they get an, an earlier exam as a kind of a baseline, like a, like a PSA test for guys, or, or just bone density is bone density? That's an excellent question as well. You know, I really do recommend that women who are at especially high risk for fractures do go ahead and request a test perhaps a little bit earlier. Um, Menopause can occur around the age of 45 on the earlier side all the way to the mid-50s for other women. So it really is a wide range. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, you know, just like breast cancer or colon cancer, if you have a strong family history of the disease of osteoporosis, you've had a parent perhaps with a hip fracture or a a close family member, first-degree relative with multiple fractures or osteoporosis, it's certainly very reasonable to request that test perhaps on the earlier side. And for most women, uh, if you haven't fractured, I think that the late 40s or at the latest around age 50 would be a great time to get the first DEXA scan. Outside of that familial tie to osteoporosis, are there any groups of women who are more susceptible than others to this? Definitely. So um, uh, we do know here in the United States, uh, women who are Caucasian do have the highest risk of fracture compared to other races. So um, we know that uh, Hispanic and Asian women have a slightly lower risk, and then African-American women will have uh, the lowest risk of all of fracture. With that said, every woman is an individual and needs to be assessed based on, you know, her own risk factors. Smoking and heavy alcohol use are definitely uh, negative risk factors and will increase 
the risk of osteoporosis and other medical conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, any condition that requires taking steroids like prednisone or hydrocortisone, and even conditions like type 1 diabetes or malabsorption problems where nutrition is an issue, all of these can increase the risk of osteoporosis. I, I saw at one site, Dr. Tabatabai, that uh, having multiple children might increase risk. Is that correct, or was that just somebody asking a question? Uh, that's actually uh, very interesting. It is true that um, having multiple children can increase the risk of osteoporosis. And again, each woman, um, you know, will have a different susceptibility to this right. based on her, you know, individual history and her profile. But what pregnancy does is obviously create a negative nutrition balance because you're creating a new life and that uh, baby that's growing needs to develop a skeleton, which requires a lot of calcium and vitamin D. So, um, you know, that's why we always encourage women to have good nutrition and take their prenatal vitamins and have good follow-up because it is such a um, important period in the life of um, the mother and the baby. Now, after pregnancy, of course, many women will choose uh, to go ahead and, and nurse their babies and lactation also takes a lot of calcium and vitamin D out of the mother's system. So you can imagine if you have, you know, even just one pregnancy and, and lactation period, but what if you have two, three, or four, uh, you know, pregnancies and then periods of breastfeeding, that will definitely impact a woman's bone health. I did a lot of reading before we got to this point in our speaking today, and almost everything I read had that word calcium in it about a hundred times. I, mm -hmm. get, I get it that calcium builds strong bones when we're young, but uh, clearly it's it's going to have to be supplemented if anybody's showing signs of osteoporosis. Am I right? So that is an interesting point that you bring up. I mean, calcium has really gotten a bad reputation in the past few years because of some studies that have shown an observational uh, risk uh, increase in coronary calcification as well as right. possible kidney calcification with calcium supplements. And um, more investigation needs to be done uh, on, on those fronts to see whether that risk is real, uh, you know, if it's a causative risk or just an association, which is very difficult to ascertain. But what I try to tell my patients is we all know that getting healthy nutrition is the best way to get the nutrients that we need. So right. for calcium, if we can have calcium-rich foods like milk, cheese, yogurt, um, we also have to include leafy greens and, you know, other foods like sardines. Um, but a lot of patients, you know, really don't like eating uh, dairy food because of personal preference. They may have gastrointestinal issues like lactose intolerance or perhaps even high cholesterol where they're right. avoiding that. There are a lot of alternatives like soy milk and almond milk, which are very low calorie and low in sugar, but very rich in calcium, calcium fortified orange juice. Um, you know, there's even uh, various puddings and um, protein bars and protein shake mixes that have calcium. So we sometimes have to get creative, but if you can obtain two to three servings of calcium rich foods in your diet, that is definitely sufficient to support bone health. Have the you, approximate milligram amount is 1,200 milligram okay. per day. Have you ever tried soy milk? You know, I have. I <laughs> I drank a, a Starbucks soy chai latte. Oh, that doesn't myself. count. <laughs> that does not count. I'm talking you know, about it, just it, taking a <laughs> shot of soy milk. It, it just doesn't well, work. 
Listen, you know, mm. to each to each Something, her okay, own. That's uh, true. There are definitely people who who like the taste, and you know oh, that's yeah. why I recommend just trying things out. They have sure. vanilla flavors, chocolate. You know, we have to get creative, but um, it's important for bone health. Squirt a little chocolate in there; it won't be too bad. And before we go oh, any farther, for all the mm-hmm. the dummy guys in the audience, including me, do men get osteoporosis like women do? Men can absolutely get osteoporosis, and it is very underrecognized in male patients. Unfortunately, osteoporosis is still considered a disease purely for women, and that's just not the case. So men are similarly at risk. Again, Caucasian men would be at the highest risk, but other races and ethnicities are also at risk. Um, Men typically will present a little bit later in life. So perhaps Mm -hmm. after the age of 60 to 65, remember we said around 50 is when women need to be concerned, but generally men tend to present a little bit later, potentially with fractures and other problems. I do think that men who are smokers, men who have a thin body habitus, and again, any family history of a parent with a hip fracture or uh, family members with multiple fractures or osteoporosis should definitely get tested. Now, there's a physical finding. Uh, you know, we, we said that osteoporosis is kind of asymptomatic, but if you look around and see patients who are really um, kind of hunched over, you know, I always tell my fellows and trainees, if you see somebody with what we call kyphosis, where they're sort of bent over, they have a little dowager hump, as we right. call it, and it's kind of a stereotype that, you know, you can see a little old lady or a little old, you know, gentleman walking around that way, chances are they have osteoporosis. I mean, that's a serious clinical sign that needs to be evaluated with a bone density test. And unfortunately, that's a late stage finding because they've already had multiple fractures that may have occurred silently of their vertebral bodies. That happened to my mom late in her life. Uh, about probably the last year or so, it became pretty pronounced. It was very oh, obvious wow. that something was going on there. Yeah, that's something yeah. for me to keep an eye out for, for sure. We are Definitely. very close to the end here. What What's the, the take home? What's the bottom line on this, Doc? So uh, what I really want to emphasize is that, you know, osteoporosis is extremely common and underdiagnosed, but we do have really excellent treatment options available uh, for postmenopausal women uh, with osteoporosis. And there are two main categories, anabolics and anti-resorptives. And, you know, that would uh, take a whole other hour to talk about. Uh Hopefully, maybe I can come back and talk about it. Yes, let's schedule that. Absolutely. All right. Um, I, I've got to, I hate to cut you off, but I got to get out of here. I'm almost done. Thank you all for sure. listening. I certainly do appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks to Dr. Layla Tabatabai. We'll be back next week. Get your sunscreen and your good snacks. Adios.